Coming up this week, off screen. Corin Hardy conjures a nun. The American animals are unleashed. It's Die Hard at West Ham for the final score. Chloe Moretz gets miseducated. There's a hurricane in the sky. Iggy Pops praising nothing. Paul Conroy takes us under the wire. And Saoirse Ronan is a seagull. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. Yes, we are the Movie Marker uh, film review show. No, yeah, that's that's the. It's thing. it's happened. It's happened. We've we've moved over. All the identities have been upgraded, and uh, yeah, it kind it, of took me by surprise. First time I heard that. It's just jarring when you expect. I, did, I didn't know. I didn't know where I was. <laughs> Well, we're still we're still the same same fun guys. We're still cool. We're still hip. We work for the man now. No, we don't work for the man. <laughs> You're still uh, cool. Trying to pay later. <laughs> so, um, well, we've had a week off after our 150th episode. That was fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that cake that we had. <laughs> yes, it was a cake in the sharp in the shape of, a, of the Meg. Um, <laughs> oh yes. Have you listened uh, to the episode of How Did This Get Made? I have um, listened to the episode of How Did This Get Made, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, it delivered <laughs> 45% on 45 percent yay and 55. Oof. <laughs> Do you know what I really loved about the idea of Adam Scott and Paul Shear taking the mick out of Meg, though? Because they're in the Piranha film. They're yeah. both in Piranha 3D. Yeah. And it's like, but the Meg is a way better movie than Piranha 3D. Oh, yeah, I think they're, they're aware of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, but they, 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 when they rag on it, you're like, oh, this is pot and kettle now, guys. Come on. Yeah. But They all liked it, though. Yeah, they're, they're all fun, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so, uh, before we get to the news reviews, box office top five, all the usual accoutrements, uh, let's talk about what's been going on in the film world this week. And I think uh, you were saying Captain Marvel's kind of the big discussion point for this week, isn't she? Yeah, because yesterday the new issue of Entertainment Weekly was released, mm-hmm. or photos from it were released online. And on the cover, what you know, is Captain Marvel. I know, and uh, yeah. she looks an awful lot like the one they did for Captain America years earlier as well. Yeah, so that's great. I like the parallel. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, um, Entertainment Weekly have got a habit of like debuting the first a big official image of the big superhero films. Yeah, they do, don't we? We did that for Shazam recently. You obviously mm. have done it for all the Marvel films. They did that big one for Infinity War, didn't they? had all the characters. That was a great one. That was a good character. Yeah. I think that's still my Facebook like timeline cover. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... Some of the some of the like twenty four different covers, wasn't it? Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, but, it was. Uh, mad. Yeah, Captain Marvel's looking good. Yeah, well, there's there's some like official photography and, images and pictures, yeah. some like behind the scenes pictures, pictures of people looking a lot younger and with uh, extra uh, body parts that they didn't have before. Yeah, and which actually, is no, that's true. No, he still had the eye. He just yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an eye and an eye socket, and now it's <laughs> uh, two eye sockets and two eyes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. and and he looks like uh, he's in Goodfellas. I, I, I thought. It is like, in, uh, insane how good that is. I thought the way they've de-aged uh, Samuel L. Jackson looks yeah. an awful lot like uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Triple X in the first one. He looks exactly really? I th- I like think, he I think does. he looks uh, younger. You think he looks younger? Maybe, yeah. maybe I have to go be. back. Yeah, maybe after I I need to go back and watch Triple X. No one's ever said that, have they? No, I need to, I need to no. go back. And watch that Ramstein opening. <laughs> I need to go back and listen to Fry Fry at the start of Jackson. Oh, don't even. I, I love the soundtrack to that movie. Well, uh, we were all into new metal once. Yeah. Well, don't, don't you remember? That was the uh, that was the album that came with two discs, and one disc was rock, and the other disc was hip hop. 
I um, do remember yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. Disc one was rock tracks. It was like the Ramstein, uh, yeah, adrenaline, drowning, like, drowning pool. Yeah, because of course he doesn't. He drop out of a plane and bodies his player. Yep, he does. Yeah. <sighs> God, I love that song. It's so versatile as a song. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it was going to be in Phantom Fred for a while and then uh, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson couldn't get it. That is a version of Phantom Fred. Yeah. I really want to see. If anyone's out there and wants to, to edit that for YouTube... Stan Day Lewis eating breakfast. Yeah, just to, to <laughs> bodies at the floor. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so... Yeah, uh, um, yeah, the Captain Marvel images look good. We get to see uh, really Lee good. Pace back as uh, Ronan the Accuser in one of them, I believe. Yeah, and... Jaimon Huntsu as... Uh, oh, who did he play now? Korath the yeah. Destroyer? Yes, but in this he's just Korath, a guy. He's not earned his Destroyer rank yet. No, because it looks like he is in a team with Captain Marvel. So they're part oh. of a team called huh. Starforce. Oh my god, I didn't know all this. Okay. Did, did you know this is what they've said in the article? Oh, okay, I didn't um, know this. Uh, Marvel, uh, who Jude Law is playing, Jude Law, yeah. he is like the commander of uh, Starforce. Uh-huh. And the film is not going to be an origin story, so oh. she's just going to have her powers. Okay, and awesome. she, co- I mean, she, she comes back to Earth. Um, huh. There's a picture of uh, Ben Mendelsohn looking like Ben Mendelsohn, who's apparently going to be working at S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, I like is, that idea. He's a squirrel. Oh, oh, okay. Even actually, the thing yeah. is, though, he, he does look like he would be a squirrel in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> he's called Talos the something? Talos the uh, Untamed. I just like the idea that Korath like, hasn't had that moment yet where he accidentally knocked a mug over in the canteen, this, in, the, in the work canteen. Yeah. And someone's like, oh my god, you destroyed that. Aha, Korath the Destroyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it sticks. It could, have been, like, it could have been Korath the Stapler. <laughs> <laughs> Korath the Faxer. Uh, oh, late again, Korath. Oh, Korath yeah. the Later. Yeah, Korath the Unreliable. <laughs> Yeah. Like space names are so cruel, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it looks good. Of course, it was gone. It does. Good. It does look good. And that's out uh, next. Is it February or March next year? Uh, March, and then a month later is <laughs> Avengers. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever so, it's called. Uh, yeah, the press tour for that's going to be really fun. Because what do you think they're going to get asked about all the time? Yeah. So, I hope uh, this is going to be like enough of its own film, though. Like it's got room to breathe. I think. It, I think it does look Avengers. like it, it will. I mean, I, I'd imagine all the Avengers forces can be a post-credits thing. Like yeah. that with Captain America, like the end of Captain America. Captain America is his own film, and then yeah, like yeah. after the end credits, when you know he wakes up and Nick Fury's there, he's like, "Hey, you know, you've been asleep for seventy years, yeah. or whatever." Then here's here's a mini trailer. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. He, yeah. Here's a trailer. Um, it'd be great if like Nick Fury just turns up at the end of this, like before he turns to end of Captain Marvel, before he turns to dust, and says, "Here's a trailer for Avengers 4. Go and uh, kick some ass. What well, just breaks character? <laughs> just fourth wall. Breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. Furious Seven style. Yes. Um, there was an idea. Group of extraordinary people. <laughs> come together yeah. when we needed to when we uh, you know fight the battles we never could all that stuff but yeah. uh, anyway we need to talk about film uh, we'll plug the podcast real quick because uh, extended podcast edition comes with our moment of cage at the very end because mm-hmm. we had no way of signing it off otherwise peace out just didn't work yeah. um, and of course uh, a couple extra reviews this week that we can't fit into the radio edit which this week is going to include The Seagull which stars uh, Corey Stahl, uh, Sir Ronan, Annette Benning, pretty good cast in a Chekhov adaptation. Good cast. Um, in Praise of Nothing, an art film starring Iggy Pop, and uh, Final Score, Die Hard at West Ham. So if you want to hear reviews of those... Oh, we're not doing that in the main show. No, I want to give that proper Shame. room to breathe. I, I need. We need to be able to breathe. And Batista, Batista needs room to breathe and room to vent about Disney. Yeah, but also, I think we're going to need to curse, if I'm honest, so we're probably better off doing that in the podcast extras where we can bleep it. Nice. So so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, all those on the podcast edition, check out Acast, iTunes, Deezer, Stitcher, TuneIn. All the stuff. All those podcasty yeah. bits. So, what, what film are we going to talk about now? We're going to talk about Hurricane. And 
I don't know what that is. Okay, so Hurricane is a new film from director David Blair. This is... Did you ever see Red Tails? I did, actually, yeah. Did you like it? I liked the idea of it. I like the true story it's based on. I yep. don't know if I necessarily like the execution. Love the cast. Love the cast. cast amazing. Good. Amazing Isn't cast. That, like Cuba Jr. And, and Terrence Howard. Was that who it was? Yeah. And David Oyelowo was in there, wasn't he? Oh, yellow. Oh, yellow. Oh, yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I only said that because there's a video where he's like, trying, to, doing it, trying to teach me what I'm saying. Um, yeah, who else is in that? I want to look that up. Um, good yeah, remember it's, good it's one of those weird films. I didn't necessarily like the film, but I mm. knew there's a really good story in there. Well, imagine that now, like the same movie, only this one takes place with the RAF instead of, the US, instead of USAF, um, and instead of the Tuskegee Airmen, it is the 303rd Squadron Hurricane, which is made up largely of exiled Polish pilots who, of course, were forced out of their homeland by the Nazis when the Nazis occupied Poland. Um, the government then worked in exile from the UK, and some of their pilots joined the RAF uh, to follow, were put into their own squadron because it was just a way of just putting them to one side, and basically had to fight for respect and the right to get in the sky and kick some ass and try and, uh, try and free the homeland. Uh, we have a clip. It's a trailer clip, but it sets the tone pretty nicely. Two or three, a bunch of fools are flying with whoever will have them. For some reason, the RAF have deemed you fit for purpose. Just get us up there and we'll finish the job. Today's a training exercise. Sir, these men are irresponsible, arrogant, and ill-disciplined. We shut down many Germans. Hurricanes are getting destroyed as fast as new ones are being delivered. You English need all the help you can get. So it's got quite a romping, uh, you know, uh, brim and bluster, militarised, pro-war tone. You know, that has that tone to the trailer. Um, the reason I find that so funny and I like using that clip is because the film itself is actually quite charming and funny. Okay. And the marketing doesn't really reflect that. The star here, if you can if you can call him really the lead, I mean, he, he's got the most screen time, arguably, is... Uh, right, you're going to have to help me pronounce his name because I've tried and I can't do this. He played Ramsay Bolton in Game of Thrones. I won. I, I won. I won. You and Rion. You and Rion. You and Rion. You and Rion. And if you want to go really Welsh, it's like Rion. <laughs> okay, you. You yeah. and Rion. My my wife has seen him twice. Mm-hmm. In he was in Spring Awakening, which is a musical about yeah. suicide and teenagers. Oh. And then yeah, he's an amazing singer. Incredible singer. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, like, he's got his own, like, solo stuff. And, yeah, check him out. <laughs> well, he's great here. He's got swagger, he's got bluster, he's got a bit of that, you know, not quite a leading man charm, but sort of definitely a great comic relief. This guy is a comic relief sidekick performer in the future, and he'll be great at it. Um, not in a way that will make you think of him as a sidekick, but he can be part of a good ensemble if you allow him to do the comedic, sort of swaggering, charming parts. Mm. Um... Here he's part of, you know, an ensemble of, and it, it, the, the screen time and the script time is dotted around sort of sporadically. Um, you know, a, a pretty diverse little ensemble made up of like his fellow pilots, you know, there's always, and they each have, you know, like a distinct personality type. Like, um, there's the rebel one. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Uh, well, presumably the rebel one is uh, Mel Gibson's son. No, no, that's their commander. He is the token yank. It is a very right. thankless role. Milo Gibson. Milo Gibson. Yeah, who also I discovered recently starred in the directorial debut of, uh, uh, Carlisle from Twilight actor Peter Fashionelli <laughs> called Breaking and Exiting which is also written by Eureka actress Jordan Hinson aka the jailbait girl from Harold and Kumar's very 3D Christmas now I tried watching this movie and uh, that movie sorry not, not Hurricane I tried watching Breaking and Exiting for 11 minutes before I gave up and said before you no 
Yeah. No, I'm not doing this. Brexit exited. I, I broke and exited immediately. <laughs> uh, Hurricane, I had a much better time with. Um, David Blair notably handles the dramatic things, uh, dramatic sequences better than he does the wartime sequences. However, he does have on his side some really terrific visual effects. Um, in, in that sort of way, there was that Russian sci-fi film a few months ago that cost like $5 million and looked like an $80 million superhero. Oh, movie. what was that one? Do you remember that one with the aliens? This has that yeah. same kind of budgetary impression going for it. It's obviously a film that's been made for like three or four million quid kind of a thing. This looks like a 50 million pound war film. Easy. Mm. You can very easily imagine that. Um, cast are on there. Stephanie Martini plays uh, a quite impressive part as arguably the uh, the female love, the love interest, female lead. And um, I don't know, there's a diverse cast in there of like known British actors who pop up for small, sort of relatively thankless roles. as like the, the brass and like that. Um, in the end, I came away from it largely thinking this has been a good time. I had some fun with it. it had enough charm and enough cheeriness in it to, to sort of keep me going. It's obviously quite a dark story in, in mm. places because it has to be. It's a war story. It deals with prejudice within the military and things like that. Um, and it has a score that threatens to de- derail it at any time. The score is ludicrous on this. But the actual film itself, otherwise, pretty damn good. I had a good time with it. Cool. With the latest film news and reviews, I have... this is Offscreen. <laughs> The Movie Marker Radio Show. A bunch of and we're back, Mr. Allen. So, uh, should we go? Should we get religious for a moment? I mean, sure, if we have to. <laughs> we're, we're both quite agnostic. We, we are, aren't we? <laughs> Is it agnostic or atheist? I don't know what I am half. The it, time. it depends. Well, all right. Let's let's go really religious. Do you at all believe that there could be a god? Oh. God, no, no, no. You, my friend, are an atheist. Yeah, okay, there we are. Yeah. No, no. Whereas I am a little bit more just, like, ambivalent. If there happens to be a god when I die, I'll be like, ah, I'm, I'm F, more... F me, right? I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be like that at the end. I'm, I'm more the uh, I'm more the I can't quite buy the idea of an omnipotent sky wizard. Anyway, a yeah. uh, different part of religion entirely that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about The Nun, which is the latest installment of The Conjuring series, a series that now has more spin-offs than it actually does banner installments. So there are actually yeah. more Conjuring spin-offs than there are Conjurings. We've had more spin-offs than your mum. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> so uh, this latest one is directed by Corin Hardy, who brought us uh, The Hallows. The Hallow? The Hallows. Do you, do, you remember yeah. that, do you remember that one? Yeah, I was... I- I could picture the poster in my head. Yeah. I was trying to think of what it was called. It had a really cool poster, didn't it? With, yeah. Where, where the, the title it was like red and orange and vines. It was and, very cool. Yeah, really, really. Uh, it wasn't a great movie, but it was. There was something about that movie that stuck with you, and I think it was the sort of the visual sensibility of it and the the imagination. Within oh, it's it. it's just singular. It is the hallow. It is the hallow. Okay, right. Uh, he has joined the Conjuring series now for this latest spin-off, which explores the background of the nun figure from the Conjuring Two, who I think in Conjuring. Who we were led to believe had some sort of connection to Vera Farmia's character, and now we're going to get the movie explaining that. Yeah. Okay, so this takes place in 1952, in which a uh, medieval castle that has been converted way, way back when into a convent, um, the, which there's a logistical uh, part of which you you won't believe, and is surely a warning sign for anyone who would ever visit it. But it's it's basically a big medieval castle in Romania that is now a convent. Um, two nuns are, uh, are are trying to protect something from an evil, malevolent force. One is killed. The other the other jumps out of the window and. Hangs herself and is found by a local uh, local merchant named Franchi who turns out to be the buff uh, swarthy kind of lead uh, male uh, male love interest type in this um, is that Damien 
Bashir. That's not Damien That's Bashir. Not, right. right, Damien Bashir then comes into it, as does Tysa Farmia. The Dude, youngest sister. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all connected. Yeah, right. Okay, believe me, it, it is connected. I, I I, don't think they actually specifically say it. I think she's meant to be her older sister. I think, maybe. Just having that casting happen, yeah. it's like... Yeah. We get backstory on her. Now, I don't remember... Uh, and we get backstory early on. I don't think it's meant to be a big spoiler, I think. Um, I don't remember certain events in the first Conjuring movie, so I think this mm. ties into some things we were told there, and there's something that comes later on. Like, I don't remember that bit. I need to rewatch that movie. So rewatch the first Conjuring movie before you see this to get the full effect. Otherwise, you can pretty much skip the rest. Um... Vera Farmia and uh, Demian Bashir are two uh, are two investigators sent by the by the Vatican to investigate this suicide that has taken place at this monastery and determine whether or not this medieval castle that has been turned into a convent and must be guarded twenty four hours a day by sustained prayer. Which the nuns take in shifts. Terms, right. Yes, so that there is always prayer coming out. First of all, I think they should have been called church police. Ch- exactly. No, they are called miracle hunters, according to this movie. Miracle hunters. They are called miracle hunters. Do you think they'll find a miracle at this monastery, at this convent, sir? I think there's a decent chance. Let's find out. <laughs> the Abbey has a long history. Valak. Not all good. What? Finna him down. Kalyan's here. I mean, the first thing that really struck me with this, I mean, especially considering, like we say, there's more spin-offs than there are Conjuring movies now, um, is, first of all, this is really trigger-happy with the idea of, let's just casually toss out a few spin-off pictures, shall we? They're not going to be that expensive to make, are oh, they? Oh, no, right? they can't be. I think I counted four in the film in total. I think there are four casually mentioned little mini-stories that you just know are going to turn well, into, yeah. into films in their own right. Um... I mean, the, when it, the second thing that struck me actually when it, was when it started, the Warner Brothers logo came up. I kept expecting it to flip round 180 degrees and be like, The Conjurverse, you know, or something like that. Like I, the Dark Universe thing. Well, I, I think we should have just like done that to a null universe. We'll just have it say Dark Universe and then have it rotate again <laughs> and say something else. Well, like it skids, reverses, then comes yeah. back again. With it says Dark Universe, and then it was like, Nah, mate, this is how you actually put a universe together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. that was it because they did this stealthily. We, we now have a fully fledged horror cinematic universe. Yeah. They've kind of done but, it like backhandedly. Haven't yeah, they? it's been done on the quiet. No one seemed to. No one. No, no fanfare. No one stepped out and said, "This is what we're going to do for the next twenty years." I think it's the way to do it. I mean, it, yeah. in in a way, it's kind of what the MCU did to begin with. Yeah, really. true, yeah. true. Yeah. Well, the first like. Well, the first two, I suppose, we can see. That's it, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, with this, you've got Corin Hardy, and we, mem- you know, let me say about uh, the Hallow. It's got it had a, a memorable visual sensibility mm. and a sense of imagination that does translate across here. Um, Tysa Farmia makes for a compelling lead. It's just weird at times when you forget that she's Tysa Farmia, and you sort of briefly think that you're watching the young Vera Farmia. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had a great time with it. And Demian Bashir is, you know, kind of a standard 
the standard male lead for these things. You know, like he's taking over from Patrick. Patrick Wilson obviously got the biggest part of all the male leads of these mm. films. But you look at, I can't remember who the one for the first Annabelle was. There's uh, 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 Anthony LaPaglia that took over for uh, Annabelle Creation. Mm. Same kind of part here for Demian Bichir, who's still cool as hell, by the way. I'm really glad to see, because he's great. Uh, big fan of him in yeah. Weeds. Anyway, um, yeah, I, and there's lots of spin-off setting up in. There's a few little mini jumps. But I do think kind of ruining the fun is that there's far far too much time spent following the characters in different darkened rooms trying to find one another. Uh, it's well enough put together. It it, it draws gleeful, uh, glee, grief, gleeful creepiness from the uh, the setting. Although let's be really honest, it's a pretty feckless director that can't wring some atmosphere out of a medieval convent. Oh, you've been dying to. Oh <laughs> yes. Well, you know it's in my heart. <laughs> can we just can we just settle it once and for all? I literally write the things I say in advance. They're on a notepad in know, my yeah. phone. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is bullet point scripting at best. Whereas uh, whereas me, I've I've got no idea what I'm going to say. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Exactly, freestyle. Um, so basically, this is because of the procedural nature of it, which is the investigators going to you know investigate this mystery. Um, that setup puts it structurally more in line with the Conjury movies than it does the spin-offs. Mm. The weird thing is, this also turns out to be the best one of the spin-offs. So you can't help but wonder if that might be why. So what you've got is effectively a Conjuring movie that's built to the standards of the spin-offs that just happens to have a director with enough imagination to actually make something work out of it. It's the least scary, but it's the most engaging and interesting one. And uh, if you want a bit of amusement, the Mother Superior, who we never actually I don't think, get to see, mm. um, just seems to have the voice of Celia Imrie, and that, uh, that stuck with me. Is, uh, is it her? It's not, no, it's not actually her, but it just sounds an awful lot like Celia Henry. But, uh, yeah, so um, The Nun, if you're a fan of this series, you're going to love this. Uh, if you weren't a fan of the series, then you're going to think exactly the same as this, so stay away. Yeah. I don't know anyone that is a massive... Well, it's, it's just a fan. Well, I'm a fan of the Conjuring series. That's the thing. I, but the I main like series. But, I, but I, I don't know anyone that's a fan of this in the same way that someone's a fan of... Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And then I was like, yeah. well, obviously Halloween is Halloween. It's just, it's difficult to even find something. Or like a Friday the 13th fan. And yeah, I know what you mean, where that is their horror franchise. Yeah. Where everyone has that yeah. one horror franchise, don't they? Mm. But uh, I think, would mine be Final Destination? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I would, I, I, if I were going to volunteer my horror franchise, I think it would be Saw. But I think it's, it's difficult of, to compare them, isn't it? I think in terms of what I watch the most, would probably wind up being Final Destination. Yeah, these are just yeah. films that like I can just watch on a Saturday night and mm. be like mildly entertained. That's it. I mean, the thing we're going into any Conjuring movie now as well is you have the added perk of knowing it's always going to be pretty good because the worst it could possibly be is uh, Annabelle. So yeah, you, you've got you've got a quality market. You yeah. know they're not going to make anything that, worse. That second than one is pretty good, I've heard. And I've the, yeah, exactly. But yeah. Uh, that's what happens when you get interesting directors to helm your spin-offs and your sequels. You wind up with things like uh, Ouija Origin rather than Ouija. Yeah, um, oh yeah, that's yeah. It, yeah. And that was oh, who is that? That's the guy I really like who did Gerald's Game. Oh, what oh, is his name? It's yeah. going to drive me insane. And he did that weird. Mirror film, Oculus. Yes, it yeah. was really clever, name? and then yeah. just dropped the dice for the last half hour. But uh, apologies, that's that's me getting an email because someone forgot to. Oh, uh, I thought we had a new a new noise whenever we yeah, finished talking about a film. Every, every time I get this, I think it was a Facebook notification. It always sounds like the first note from Nine Inch Nails every every day is exactly the same. But yeah, it does, oh, doesn't that's it? A good song. Yeah, it's yeah. a great song. It just anyway. goes on and on and on. And yeah. Okay, let's get a real let's get a quick review in, and I, I want to spend as much time as possible talking about it. So I've got to be as quick as possible. Uh, the Miseducation of Cameron Post. 
Yeah, which right. is a uh, new film from Desiree Akhavan, who brought us Appropriate Attraction four years ago. That was pretty good. I'm automatically zoned out just because I don't like Clomerats. Clomerats. Right, okay. And I, I need to get out of that mindset. Right, you do, and this might actually be the film to do that. Now, I, let me explain. So, Clomerats stars as, would you believe it, Cameron Post, who for the purposes of, of discussion and speed and efficiency, I'm just going to call Campo forever now. Okay, so she's hashtag Campo. <laughs> Is she called Campo in the film? No, she's Cameron. But, uh, <laughs> so she's hashtag Campo to me. So Campo is uh, a uh, high school girl, goes to her prom. Uh, she and her best her best friend have their prom dates. They go to prom. And, uh, well, wouldn't you know it, Chloe and her best friend get found in the back of a car by Chloe's date. And their secret is outed to the world. It, bear in mind, this is 1993. Her parents are very religiously conservative. They send her to one of those pray the gay away schools. Ooh, you know, the, the camps. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. This one is run by John Gallagher Jr. from 10 Cloverfield Lane, is it? Yeah, and Hush and the Newsroom. Newsroom, yes. I'm a big fan of him in yeah. the Newsroom. And, uh, right, this is run by him. He himself has been converted by this process. The centre is run by he and his, uh, I think his sister, who's played by Jennifer Ale. Just ice cold. She is ice cold in this. She plays it just perfectly. And, uh, well, it becomes a question of does she want to quote unquote fix herself? What is, what is the truth behind this process? And really a little bit of social relevance. Here's a clip. Welcome to God's Promise. And you are at an age where you are especially vulnerable to evil. Change will come through God, but within me. We're going to spend our time together investigating what led you here. In the past, I would resort to self-pleasure. But then when I learned that that was a sin also, I stopped. So there's a generation now that are going to see this as their one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And it does play like that. It plays like one flew over the cuckoo's nest with, you know, gay conversion rather than a mental hospital. Although they're portrayed not entirely dissimilarly. I mean, Jennifer Ale plays a pretty good Nurse Ratchet, albeit, you know, uh, you know, 1990s, more outwardly sensitive uh, Nurse yes, Ratchet. Well, I mean, comparatively, she's still on the ice queen. Um, right, so here's the Chloe Moretz factor. Chloe Moretz, naturally, would you agree, has something of an otherworldly quality to her. There's something... I tend to think of her as being quite cartoonish as a person, uh, as an actress, sorry. Like, she is quite a cartoony performer, would you think? I find it difficult to separate her as an actress from her as a person. Right. Okay. I, don't, I shouldn't. I shouldn't ever do that with anyone. I don't think anyone should do that. But unfortunately, it's difficult to not fall into that. Okay. I, I don't have that problem. Um, yeah. I, I don't particularly have that problem with her. Um, now, for the purpose of this film, though, her natural sort of otherworldly quality kind of makes for dynamite casting because the whole gimmick of Cameron Post herself, a.k.a. Hashtag Campo, um, is that she feels like an alien in her own skin, that she feels uncomfortable no matter what box she's put into. It's about questioning where you are and just basically trying to find, basically feeling like the outcast in any given room. And because of that otherworldly quality that Chloe Moretz has, this actually works a treat. Um, the script has a sort of sense of sort of cynical cynicism and irony running through its vein. These veins, these kids know, you know, that this is ridiculous. That they they know. Look, this is nonsense. We're just going to say what we have to fake our way through this. We all know this is nonsense. You know, yay Jesus. And you know exactly like you would expect to hear at one of these Bray the Gateway camps. Um, I will say, I mean, this comes not long after uh, what was the was it Will and Grace that did the the big gay conversion camp episode. Uh, this last year and that was really good I didn't hear that 
No, they did a really good episode with Sean Hayes. Sean Hayes breaking into a gay conversion camp. And it was <laughs> one of the best episodes of an already great series. Um, this feels at times like a bit, kind of like American Honey. Now, American Honey was also set in the 90s, as far as I know, as well. And mm. Sasha Lane does turn up. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought she was in that. I mean, yeah. go, go figure. Sasha Lane is the uh, the sassy, rebellious uh, 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 patient, client, inmate. What, what do we call them? Students. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going with um, There's some great, uh, great side cast in there. Uh, Emily Skeggs as uh, Chloe Moretz's roommate is genuinely terrific. I thought she played this so well. Um, Chloe Moretz herself. This is career high for Chloe Moretz. This is a really layered, really moving performance. That I, I did find very moving. Um, I mean, I will say this though, only because I've saved the clip for this. It has an all is lost moment, like this film. You know, you know the, the classic all is lost moment, and it plays it so unsubtly. It literally plays it as the all is lost moment. I've just always wanted to use that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I did. I, I really enjoyed this. I think this has it, the thing it lacks for me. I think it's a really, 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 really good movie. However, it's lacking something for me that would have made it a great movie, and it's that mm. something that I actually, believe it or not, complained about Black Klansman for having. You know in the way that Black Klansman, <laughs> in its final minute, just takes a sledgehammer to your head? Yeah. This kind of... It's just like, Spike Lee. Yeah. This kind of could have done with that, in a sense. There are moments in which they reference, you know, sort of very, today, contemporarily mm. ridiculed concepts like safe space and recognise your truth and stuff like that. It mentions things like that in a very specific way that leads you to believe, oh, they're going to try and reconcile this with, you know, where we are today. They're going to say, okay, look, this is, we're going to use the past to tell you about the today. Uh, it doesn't quite do that. And I think that's what would have made this a really, taken it from a really, really, really good movie to a really great movie. And other than that, I'd still think, though, it is really, really good. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show. And what about Mr. Allen? So, time for you and me to have some fun. We like doing this. Do you want to do the top five? Yes. Number five. Searching. Did we get to review this? I, I don't think so. Was this the week we no. were off? This is we, one of the weeks we, we were off. missed it. I've still not seen it. I will see uh, it. Okay. Eventually. Very, very good thriller. And also, going back to the, because we were talking about Will and Grace two minutes ago, stars Deborah Messing this one as well. Deborah Messing is, I think, really? the second lead in this. I feel like I don't know who is in some films recently. Oh, like, well. I'm just... Yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised with certain castings. <laughs> well, John Cho is terrific in that. He has now ascended to that age where he can play a suburban dad to a teenage daughter. Like, when did that happen? It's mad because ITV2 have been showing all of American Pie yeah. recently. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, yeah. It seemed like 20 in that, maybe? Yeah. Uh, and I guess because yeah. of the Howl and Kumar films as well, he always kind of seems around his 20s. <laughs> he kind of does, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he's terrific here. This is a really, really good thriller. This is, so I think when it gets to the end of the year, I think this is going to turn up on a lot of people's best of lifts, lifts, lists. Um, it, it, visually, it's not entirely dissimilar to Open Windows by Natural Vigilando, which we reviewed a couple of years ago. Yeah. With Elijah Wood and yeah. 
Sasha... Oh, the porn star. Sasha Gray. Sasha Gray, thank you. Yeah. Yes. I uh, mean... What porn star? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sasha Gray from yeah. uh, The Girlfriend Experience, not porn. Anyway, um, so yeah. Uh, like, like Open Windows, but delivered as a much more tense, grounded thriller... Uh, there's some requisite twists in there. You can kind of see the biggie coming, but it's, it, it deals with it so well that you, you just go with it and you have a great time. It is a really, really good thriller. So, has anybody given us a tweet on the matter? At TBH Jovan, so to be honest, Jovan, ah. says, in all capitals, but I don't want to shout because I don't want to ruin my voice. Fair. Um, just, just be aware it's all in capitals. Okay. All you guys need to watch hashtag searching movie exclamation mark I thought that it would be bad because it was filmed all in the point of view on a computer this grammar is amazing okay but to keep me captivated at the end at the end of my seat the whole time is just wow so many plot twists and then an emoji of a face doing one of these <gasps> oh the home alone emoji the home alone emoji the home alone emoji yeah. fair enough it's Megalodon number four shut up Meg <laughs> the Jaws <laughs> <laughs> The Jaws which I think is one of the most fun movies of the year hands down uh, I mean it's a perfect summer a perfect August release isn't it the yeah but uh, it was great. It was the end of the summer, kind of, and that's always. Do you know? It's that's when they dumped Deep Blue Sea as well, way back when. That was yes, like in August, is, yeah. just before the kids go back to school release. Yeah, and, uh, I think. I think yeah. the best way of describing it, it is meant to be a serious film, but mm. we've just made it badly. I think that is the best way of summing really? it. It is for me. Yeah. Oh, I thought this has been made with its tongue. Right? This has been made to piranha level. I don't think it is. I don't think it is that self-aware. No. No. Okay. I just. I think it's maybe it's just. I wanted. It, I wanted it to be, but viewing it through. They tried to make it a little bit more serious, and that's why there's not much blood and glow. And well, I think that's arguably just to keep it uh, PG-13. Yeah, PG-13, and yeah, because this was going to make money no matter what. But yeah, they not they, get the PG-13. They, they could have, they could have, yeah, blooded it up a little bit. I, but I, I still so. enjoyed it. And if it was anyone else, if it was yeah. any, if it was anyone else, but Statham, I don't know. The Rock could have pulled it off. Still, well, yeah, but also you wouldn't have been. You would have been making it for the same budget if it was a rock. You wouldn't, and also, let's be honest, we wouldn't question it as much if the rock tried to fight a, sh- a giant shark. If the rock just, you know, grabs a knife and goes after a shark, we kind of expect that of him. You'd be, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what else yeah, is there going to do? So, has anyone tweeted us about the Meg? Yes, at Kirsty Leone one. I have no words for what I've just seen. Hashtag the Meg, and then shark for an emoji. Number three, Black Clansman, which I loved. Did you get to see this in the end? Yeah, I told you, yeah. yeah, you, did. yeah, you, man, yeah. You, you really liked this as well, didn't you? Loved it. And, and, <laughs> it was amazing. And that topicality of it. Wow, that is... Uh, yeah. That's a uh, way, to, way, to, way to rein in the subtlety there. <laughs> I wasn't as put off with the last mm. like, two minutes as what some people were. And maybe it's just because I knew that was coming, actually. Yeah, I think we softened that blow for you. I think yeah, so that's why I wasn't as like... No. The flag is upside down. <laughs> Black is white. <laughs> Up is down. Yeah, I was just... Yeah, uh, and then like everything before that, well, he was so tense at one point. How good is is John David Washington? Incredible, he's so good. I can't he? wait to see I'm him. Such a fan of him. I can't wait to see him be John Stewart for the DC. Oh god, <laughs> that would be that would be good casting. It'd be an amazing casting. Great casting. Sh- surely, like he's I'm like age wise, he's a perfect that. age. Does that mean he could do a franchise for twenty years? Exactly. And yeah, come on. And, and he's got something now that's like giving him some fire. So now he needs a franchise like that. Yeah, yeah it'd of be course, absolutely. But, uh, it'd be ideal. You just know, like, because Universal released Black Clansman, Universal, like, quickly, which black superheroes do we own? 
Like just find yeah, his one. We'll yeah, get, exactly. Let's lock, let's lock this guy down. Yeah. And Wait if to... and if they are trying to get Tom Cruise to be Hal Jordan, <laughs> yes. just think about how they would bounce yeah, off. Each other. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, have we got a tweet on Black Klansman at underscore beef? Okay. Yeah, so fair. don't know if I shot for Beaver. Don't know. Okay, fair. Maybe he's. Um, sat through the credits of Black Clansman in a state of whiplash. Spike Lee pulled the rug so hard from under me in those last 10 minutes that I could feel the entire audience sinking to the floor. Some complex. Some complex. And Jordan Peele was a producer. True. <gasps> Full circle. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm going to read the tweet first. It's underscore Abster says, I've seen Mamma seven times. Mm. Yes, I have. Do I want to go again? Yes, I do. So it's her fault. It's, it's her fault. Uh, it's, it's Abster's fault that uh, this film is number two in the top five. Has it been number two for like six weeks or something? Man? Yeah, a while. Well, I, I, I understand it. Go see it. Go have, go seven, have, go have a good time. Seven. But seven times. Seven weeks. It's been out. I mean, that's always seeing it once a week, admittedly. It's doable, but, you know... Well, I'm just, like, buying all the seats to the theatre. You know, I, I'm just going to put it out there, though. I have seen Avengers Infinity War more than seven times. Yeah, I think I'm on... I'm only on four. No. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I, it, it is a film that I just keep re-watching. It's so not I, as rewatchable. Yeah, I'm not going to judge people if they like Marmia too, that they keep seeing it that many times. Because I'm just as bad with, you know, the superhero movie. Yeah, so, but there's some films that are... Just more rewatchable. Some, for some films that you yeah, can't watch more musicals than should inherently be more rewatchable than superhero movies, shouldn't they? Because that's a yeah, but this is a, of, this, an energy. But though, this so. is a jukebox musical. Yes, that's true. So with that, if you want to listen to the song, listen to the song. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. You yeah. can't get that experience in superhero. Fine, fine. And yeah, because yeah, yeah. The, and because the story is not based on a song or anything, mm. I'm not. I, 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 hey. I don't see anything that drags me to it. I like the Godfather Two element of it. That's fine. Hey, the, the Andy Garcia arc is the love story that runs through the centre of this movie. All right, so fair enough. There buy, was something in the air that me, night, Fernando. Buy me tickets to go watch Fernando when the Fernando <laughs> spin-off comes out. I'll watch that. I would watch the hell out of a Fernando spin-off. If it's Andy Garcia... I'll watch it, Andy I'm Garcia in. in pretty much anything. And I will say about someone that in the last 12 months has watched Geostorm and the Book Club. Yeah, that's that. That's true. Oh, hey, what's wrong with Buckler? I watched that with my mum recently. She loved it. That film is a straight-up delight. <laughs> it, it is, isn't it? Yeah. That was delightful. <laughs> it was it's literally yeah. what we said when we came out of the screening. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so back to it, Mamma Mia 2, which is, I think, a better film than the first one. He's not as polished as the first one, but I had an okay time with it. I think fans are going to love it. People who detractors are going to detract. And haters going to hate, lovers going to love. Abs- so. um, Abby's going to see it for an eighth time. She is, she is. Okay, on which note? Number one. Christopher Robin. Well, Donald Gleeson's, uh, you know, getting them, getting them up, getting those bombs on seats is what it is. Donald Gleeson? <laughs> oh my god! I've actually swapped round Christopher, uh, swapped round my poo movies. Yeah, because it was Chris Robin. Yes. And goodbye, Christopher Robin. Do you know Robin. what it is? It's because Donald Gleeson's been doing the rounds, uh, brass rounds at the minute for the Little Stranger. Yeah, for the Little Stranger. Yeah. So I've in my head, <laughs> oh, I've, that's oh amazing. wow. Okay, so Hugh McGregor's yeah. getting them bombs on seats. <laughs> Donald, Gle- <laughs> Donald Gleeson's in Star Wars. Hugh McGregor's in Star Wars. They're basically the same dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, he's gonna he's gonna turn up in Fargo now, isn't he? he really Donald is. Gleeson. <laughs> 
Uh, if, if, if that happens, you owe me a Coke. I do, I do. If he's um, in season four, fucker. I, I think I've, I've kind of said all I can, really, on, on Christopher Robin, which is to say that he's basically the combination of Hook and uh, Paddington. Paddington, yeah. And that's as exactly as enjoyable as you would think it is. It's exactly as moving as you would think it would be, which is not as much as Paddington, but slightly more than Hook. And, uh, yeah, good time for all. Uh, do we have a tweet? At Lauren McLean says, I saw Christopher Robin today and cried through the whole dang movie. Well... Okay then, yeah, that's fair, it's moving. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. She's uh, fully dehydrated. Um, Drink some water. Well, indeed. Uh, can I tell you now, really quickly, about uh, a documentary called Under the Wire, which is out uh, this week as well. This is uh, directed by Chris Martin. Not that Chris Martin. <laughs> the documentary maker. Father Chris of Martin. Apple and Moses. Yeah, so yeah. not Moses and Apple's uh, dad. No, the other Chris Martin, who's, you know, fathered some documentaries. Um, so this is the, uh, this is the <laughs> story... With not as ridiculous names. It, this is the story of Marie Colvin. Do you know her at all? She's no. the war correspondent who had the eye patch. Have you seen her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the, the, sort of mid age uh, American war correspondent. She's going to be played by Rosamund Pike in a movie coming up. Yes, that's where I know her. That's where you'll know her from. Right. This is her documentary. This is the story of that that, that coverage that led to um, her untimely demise. Um, Right. I'll tell you what, this all I'm just going to tell you, this all comes to us from her photographer and the author of the book upon which the film is based, Paul Conroy. And uh, yeah, this this is a clip that's going going to tell you the tone of where we're going with this. She was a complete and utter one-off. One of the greatest war correspondents of her generation. It's about people. We're basically in the middle of a firefight. They call me up every week on, is everything okay? We'd covered the Arab Spring. It was in full flight. The city of Homs is the next. We had one option. We decided to go in illegally. As you do. So, yeah, they actually take us through this. So this is, you know, narrated to us in, in interview segments, and then there are stages that incorporate actual footage that was, you know, captured mm. of, of the journey along the way, because obviously, you know, they are there to document everything. So there's a lot of coverage. And this will take you through the emotional ringer. This is straight up harrowing, son. This really is. There is a point. There's, there's a point in this movie where, in the course of five minutes, we meet Dr. Muhammad Muhammad, who is a doctor working in this. Well, I mean, it's called a war zone, but I mean, Paul Conroy himself says at one point, that's not war at all. That's slaughter that's going on over there. And it's just, you know, a team of soldiers just turning up and with rifles and just gunning down scores of people and then being brought into this makeshift hospital that has no facilities whatsoever and basically having one man single-handedly trying to save everybody's life. That is Dr. Mohammed Mohammed. You might know him from YouTube videos in which he implores us to uh, intervene on behalf of the Syrian people. Uh, This is, as I say, straight up harrowing. It's a fantastically captured story. The feel of it, the emotion involved, the tension, the danger, the despair, the absolute dread for what could possibly come next. You feel absolutely everything in this. And within minutes, you know Marie Colvin was clearly one of the greatest badasses who ever lived <laughs> and uh, is, is matched probably only by Paul Conroy, who might be the rawest man you've ever seen. He just sits there and tells you some absolutely mortifying things. And he's aware of it, and he just wants to get this story out there as much as possible. I mean, mm-hmm. it's worth noting, this is the story of what happened after her death as well. And the, basically how he took the campaign, how he took their work and their coverage over mm-hmm. at that point, because as he put it, he owed her. 
And it's a really moving, really emotional story, but it is a hard watch. It's a hard watch imagine. in the best way. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a really, really effective piece, and it's something I actually will watch again. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show. Back for one last ride, Mr. Allen. So... You know what we've uh, we've got to come. Should, should we uh, talk some film news? We've talked none this week. We can if uh, there was anything to really talk about. I've got one because you just reminded me because one of our tweeters was named McLean. Oh, yeah, yeah. and that's going to be what that film's called and if it ever gets what, made. Yeah, that's what Die Hard Six is going to be. Oh, apparently, it is getting made. There's a, there's a slot for the filming and everything. It's got a release date, a filming yeah. slot. <laughs> You know, Len Wiseman. Len, Len not-so-Wiseman. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If Len Wiseman would actually learn to turn things down occasionally, um, this may actually not happen. But uh, no, because, yeah, I'm just putting it out there that the only returning director ever in the Die Hard franchise was John McTiernan, and that was for the best. Len Wiseman is no John McTiernan. And I don't necessarily hate 4.0. I don't hate 4.0. It's all right, but, but I would rather not. I just think the script sucks. But yeah, I, I don't care about John McTiernan's past. Just get him back. It's okay. Yeah, that's it. John McTiernan should direct the final Die Hard. Yeah. And that final Die Hard, of course, has now been re- revealed to be called McLean. Oh, they said that he is going to be the last one. Oh, no, I think the idea was they said a while ago that they were making the last one. They have also said, though, that they're making a six and seven. So, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll believe it. Last one until we see how well this does. Pretty much, but yeah. I just want to point out they've got they've gotten Die Hard, the late, the final Die Hard out this year. Mm. It would have been the 30th anniversary. It would have been. It would have been kind of perfect timing. And you should have got uh, John McTiernan to do it. Who would you cast as uh, young young Bruce Willis? Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder where you got a bad idea from. <laughs> where might I have gotten such a revolutionary yeah. idea? Can I give you an idea? Go on. Evan Peters. Oh, okay. Are you naturally segueing this in? Have you just thought of that? Because you know he stars in our final review. Oh, of course it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Did you not know that? Did you genuinely not know? I knew we were going to do that film last, but I'd forgotten. <laughs> oh, so, okay, yeah. Pretty great. So yeah. pretty great, yes. Okay, so Evan Peters stars in American Animals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like we planned it, except we absolutely didn't. So American Animals is the latest film uh, from writer-director Bart Layton. Do you remember a documentary called The Imposter about five years ago? <gasps> yes, you know the one. Yeah. Oh, I love that film. Me and my wife literally quote that film on a monthly basis. Really? Yeah, because there's a detective in that film, mm-hmm. and he talks about using Adobe Photoshop. Ah, yeah. Yes, I can. I, I have heard you do that, actually, I think. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, this so is the same guy? This is the same guy. But, what, right, you're going to love this. I swear, oh, this is this I'm is going to blow your mind. So, right, you know how he comes from a documentary background? I do. Well, how can there be a documentary about Evan Peters in, 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 in be about anything other than Evan Peters? So, here's what American Animals actually is. American Animals is a hybrid documentary and narrative feature yes. that cuts that uses uh, narrative recreations of events by a cast that includes Evan Peters, Barry Keown, and oh my God, who was the lead the in the guy? And everybody wants them. Blake Jenner. Yes. Yes. Thank Super, you. Supergirl's ex-husband. Supergirl's ex-husband. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, because they were in, on Glee together, weren't they? Yes, the they whole were. thing. And oh, as was the Flash. Anyway, so <laughs> enough DC. Uh, enough DC nonsense. And and Leah Michelle. Oh, Leah, we miss you. Anyway, so back to back. To You're the in a hole. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. So 
what they do is they have these narrative events and then they will cut back to the, the documentary element of it to confirm what has just happened, actually happened, and then set up the next bit. So it's one of those uh, Gustav Santi kind of uh, kind of a looking film. It's got a true story that feels mm. like it was written by Brett Easton Ellis, and that's being uh, <laughs> diplomatic about it. <laughs> and it's a sort of immediately post millennium, kind of the time that Drowning Pool were a thing. Actually, coincidentally enough, uh, it's got we've got to play bodies. Like we, we've got to, yeah. Um, it's set around then, and it is about two two men who two young men who decide to uh, to stage a heist. To basically for the chance to have an interesting experience actually happen in their lives. They think that in order for them to actually advance in life, they need that coming-of-age experience that will change their life forever. Unfortunately, when you have a heist, you also need a fence. Here's a clip of them trying to find exactly that. So, what do you say? What do you say? It wasn't the buyer, but he gave us a contact. The fence. So, that guy was in the fence. I... I thought you said he was the fence. I guess not. We just... We spent $500 on an email address. All you have to do is contact this guy. And he says he speaks English. What? Yeah. You see, he's... Let's go get some food. Come on, I'm freezing. Uh, why wouldn't he speak English, Warren? Warren. So Barry Keon, uh, is it Keon? Yeah, I've been saying. Barry Keen and uh, Evan Peters are terrific in this. As is Blake Jenner. Those three really great performances. Um, what sets what sets this on such solid footing is really really sharp writing, and it is writing that allows the film to make. Uh, sort of a weird comedy out of the juxtaposition between the narrative feature and the documentary features. Mm. Uh, things like differing accounts become plot points. They become part of how you are taking this tale in and what did happen, what didn't happen, what was embellished, what was so funny and absolutely had to be true. This effectively winds up as what you kind of hoped War Dogs would be. I mean, I'm a big fan of War Dogs, but if they'd done this with War Dogs, Wow. And this is a movie that's every bit as great as War Dogs mm, could, could have, have been. been. It say so it has that feel of a Gus Van Sant adaptation of a Brett Easton Ellis film, except it's all true. The writing is sharp and funny, and it makes it it's it's layered in such a way as to make the boys themselves, you know, unflinchingly sort of likable and investable. And even though they're doing horrible things, you go along for that ride, and you want them. To succeed, I mean, the film kind of foreshadows, kind of bookends itself in the documentary sense with kind of where this is going to end up, because documentaries kind of tend to do. But uh, it's really great. Some great visuals in there. It has that almost like an American Psycho kind of a, mm. a presence, where it's not the greatest film ever made, but it's damn good, and it's one that you will remember, and it's one that you will have on your DVD shelf and revisit you know, once a year or something like that. It's really something. It's great. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to watch it. Sorry, and just... I, I had no idea that it was the guy that did the imposter. No, I didn't. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually um, he's on the shortlist to uh, direct uh, James Bond. Is as he? Well, yeah, so that's, that's oh. some additional news. Now, that I would be intrigued to see. Because aren't they the yeah. floating young demands around here, aren't they? Yeah, which I'm still down with because I like Yander Manch. Uh, fair yeah. enough. Um, who else? Um, the lady that is supposed to be doing the next Star Trek as well. Oh, S.J. Clarkson. 
Yeah. Yeah, she's from, like, Spooks and things, I think. She's a TV, uh, British TV director. Yeah. But, uh, so, um, I'm going to give American Animals Film of the Week. Hey! Yeah, I absolutely deserves Film of the Week. I think it's just terrific. I can't wait to watch it again. Like, cool. genuinely. I will be watching it this weekend after I have... Uh, yeah, what am I doing this weekend? Lots you do, you're doing a big wedding. I'm doing a gig. Yeah, yeah I'm gigging a wedding. So after, after I do that, yeah. huge. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, when yeah. you've seen American Animals, please text me. Like straight after, I want to. I want to hear you go. I want to hear your mind blow over this. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I thought, just thought it was great. Yes, and you know, yeah, I really am great. excited to watch it. You should be. You should be. So uh, next week, what we'll have we got? Out. Next week, stuff. Oh well, I Films. mean, I'm not hearing great things about this one, but King of Thieves is out next week. <laughs> I, it's really funny. I had no idea what the film was about. I was just going to go watch it because it's a bunch of old men robbing a bank. Yeah. And then my wife was like, "Do you not know about Hatton Gardens?" I was like, "No, I'm from Sheffield. Um, I don't." National news for a couple of days. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know anything about it. Oh, okay, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I must um, have just been asleep for a few days. That's fine. We also have the remake of Superfly next week. That is that is, really next week? That's really next week. That's wow. out. Uh, Reinventing Marvin is next week. Michael Inside is next week. The Rider is next week. Matang Maya MIA next week. Uh, Lucky, the final appearance of uh, Harry Dean Stanton next week as well. Yeah, that trailer looks great. Yeah, it does yeah. as well. And that's also that's a very sad that that's his final film. I really love yeah. Harry Dean Stanton. But he's like, he's the lead in it, so it's kind of a good... Yeah, it's, it's nice yeah. for him to go out in a big role, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, last but certainly by no means least, one of my favourite filmmakers of all time is back in the game. Shane Black's here, baby. The Predator's up. Predator's up. Predator's up. Have you seen that new Predator trailer? I have. Oh my God. Oh my God, I'm in. And how good does... Uh, uh, oh, this is us actor... Oh, still in K. Brown. Brown. How good. amazing! That looks like a really fun, very Shane Black part, doesn't it? Yeah, when he I talks t- I about take the name. I t- you know, take it back. He can be John Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> so we got all those to come and more next week off screen. This has been a candy store production of a movie marker. I've been Van Connor. I've been Kate Allen, and we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more movie news, reviews and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Right, belts off, trousers down, tie the podcast extras, Mr. Allen. I'm scared. <laughs> well, uh, should, we, uh, should we start with some film news then before we get to the first of three reviews we've not been able to cover? Yes, give me news, give me sweet little news. So this is apparently Rebecca Ferguson's in talks to join Dune. So that's interesting because Denis Villeneuve, Rebecca Ferguson, that's a good pairing. They're not worked together before, have they? I don't think they have, but it's a good pairing. I can see that working. I can yeah, see, I can totally see that fitting the aesthetic of a Denis Villeneuve movie. I wonder if she's going to do an opera singing like she didn't do in the British show. Yes, indeed. Are you into that thing you didn't do in the other movie? Yeah, God. <laughs> she's a thing, because didn't she appear in Opera House in Mission Impossible as well? So she likes opera, but she can't be bothered to do <laughs> yeah. but, She's uh, not an opera singer, but she respects it as a medium. What is this? Is Glenn Powell attached to a Captain Planet movie? Because what did, did you not did you not know this? No, what is it? Is this the Leonardo DiCaprio one? Yeah, you know Leonardo DiCaprio always always wanted to produce a uh, a Captain Planet movie. Yeah. Well, this is <laughs> no save save him save him for an MCU film. Well, this is this is even more bizarre. Okay, so he's not playing Captain Planet, although he'd be a really really good Captain. He'd be Planet. great. Yeah. He'd be great, wouldn't he? No, he's he's co-writing it. Yeah, Glenn Powell is co-writing Captain Planet. So 
for the love of God, someone cast Glenn Powell as Captain Planet. Yeah, cast himself in that film. I mean, you need, like... He'd be great. I'm just putting it out there as well. Tandy Newton for Gaia, because... Yeah, yeah. Because if you if you must like recast a role that so clearly was you know Whoopi Goldberg, uh, <laughs> yeah. get Tandy Newton. Tandy Newton yeah. She's got that that Mother Earth quality to her that she could play that so well. Look at her in uh, Westworld. Yeah, you know, you look it's at how kinda, she plays that in Westworld. Perfect, yeah, she could play Gaia like that. Yeah. Um, have so. you uh, have you watched that Glenn Powell uh, Netflix comedy about set it up? No, I have not. Is that his? Well, he he's in it. He's, he's, in it, he's, yeah. he's the he's male like, oh, male lead. Um, it's really worth checking out, actually. Ah, it's pretty. No, I, I didn't know that at all. I will watch that now. Yeah, I've not watched. Uh, recommend it. What's the offensive one? Insatiable. Yeah, I've I, not watched that either. Watched I watched Twelve um, the Boys I've Loved Before. Uh, I hear that's the greatest rom com of all time. It's not. Is it not? I like it, but. People seem to have lost their minds over it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, it's not going to live up to uh, Crazy Rich Asians. I mean, spoiler for next week. But, uh, oh, oh yeah, this is the other one. Timothy Dalton's going to be a DC villain. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Only, only for telly, though. So. But, he's, but he's going to be the chief. Yeah. Which is I great. mean, isn't that, isn't that? That's going to yeah. be great. And uh, uh, Tudix has been the bad guy. Oh, is he? Yeah. Alan Tudyk. Oh, yeah. okay. So the I'll villain of a series of our villains. Two dicks, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay, fair enough. Okay, so uh, let's talk then uh, really quickly about Seagull, which is a new film from Michael Mayer, who made, do you remember, A Home at the End of the World with Colin Farrell? It was about 15 years ago now. It was... Vaguely, yeah. It was one of Colin Farrell's first sort of indie uh, projects after he'd sort of, you know, had his prolonged shot at Hollywood. You know, there was like four or five movies, four or five big movies. I am Alexander the Great, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm older than the chick playing my mum, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) God, that movie. What was Oliver Stone thinking? Nothing about that work. He was Oliver Stone. Yeah, he clearly was. Okay, so, uh, The Seagull, which is an adaptation of the story by Anton Chekhov, of the Chekhov play, which is restaged here in a more contemporary English-language tone. It has an all-star cast. It includes Annette Bening. It includes Corey Stahl. It includes Saoirse Ronan. Brian Dennehy, of all people, is in this. Mad. <laughs> yeah, like, how do you randomly come up with Brian Dennehy? Someone's like, we need to look like Brian Dennehy, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is uh, about an aging actress and her boyfriend, who, uh, an aging actress is played by um, uh, Annette Benning. The uh, slightly younger boyfriend is played by Corey Stoll. They go to visit her elderly brother's estate. He is uh, Brian Dennehy. This is set in sort of the early 20th century when uh, there is something of a media in, in the world, for instance. There is fame and there is fortune, for instance. Mm. And it is uh, effectively just a, a, a chamber piece drama. I mean, it's a Chekhov play, so it's largely a chamber piece drama, but it is staged still as a play, but without the stage. It is in the actual settings, but it's performed as if it's a play. It's staged and, mm. and blocked exactly in that way. I'm just looking at some of the uh, pictures from it. It yeah. does look like that. It does indeed look like it. Here's a clip. What does it feel like to be famous? What does it feel like? It feels like not being famous, probably. I never think about it. Well, what about when... You read about yourself in the newspapers. What does that feel like? Well, when they're flattering notices, I like it. And when they're nasty, I'm depressed for a day or two. If I were great like you, I'd dedicate my whole life to my public. I'd let them pull my chariot through the streets. Because I'd know that it's the... They're reaching up to me. That's what makes them happy. And in a chariot, no less. 
So this is just absolutely gorgeously shot. Um, being a Chekhov play, at first there is an adjustment period with this, and Chekhov is one of those things that I think you need to be mentally prepared for going mm. in. And uh, it, it's it, the, the the script has done been done quite well. I'm trying to remember the name of the writer who has actually who has adapted this. Um, You've got a very game cast who are early on quite visibly, and I would imagine this has been shot in continuity order. It's been shot chronologically. It has that feel to it because the cast themselves start out having this ball. They're doing proper acting. You know, this is a proper picture based on a Chekhov play. And the thing is that the film itself um, and the adaptation of it noticeably loosens up as the film goes on. And what's happened is you've become so invested in trying to keep up with, you know, what's an almost Sorkin level of back and forth, that by the time it does loosen up, and by the time it does allow those characters to breathe as well, and the drama to flourish, the, the character drama to really flourish out into something, by that point, what's happened is effectively the wax-on, wax-off trick from Karate Kid, where, oh my God, you've been teaching me Kung Fu this whole time. I didn't realise. Except in this case, oh my God, you made me care about all... All of these characters without me even realizing you were doing it solid work michael mayer solid work <laughs> um like i say i mean the the stiffness it takes a bit to get used to but once you do what you wind up with is the second realization that actually this entire cast like you just said it's a hell of a cast and once they they're given that time flush you realize that they've actually been playing to type this mm. whole time, in a manner so brazen, you've not seen it since the Meg. You know, everybody is there to play their stock type, but the, the film is structured in such a way that it kind of masks that for you until that wax-on, wax-off moment. And it does, like, pick up that stride as it goes. It has that wonderful production design. There's a great sense of the space, great sense of the location of the ground. Uh, Matthew Lloyd, who was the cinematographer on this, was also a cinematographer on first season of Daredevil and uh, Power Rangers movie a couple of years ago oh, as well right. which did have a good good look to it uh, very <laughs> coaxing visuals here another fine job um, I really enjoyed this I didn't expect to in the slightest and for the first half of the movie I didn't think I was gonna but uh, yeah I really really liked it so that's the single check that out but uh, so uh, back to uh, back to film news, I guess, isn't it? Yes. So what, we, uh, what, what do we have? <laughs> what do we have? What do we have? There's nothing. Nothing's happened. Let's make something up. It's been a surprisingly quiet week in a strange way, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. There was um, something I wanted to ask you about, and that's oh, House of Cards have confirmed how they're dealing with Kevin Spacey. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. No bones about it. <laughs> no bones about it. Do you not remember, though, when they said they were going to make another series? My thing was, yeah, but when we ended the last series, he was in a prison cell. The next mm. series is going to have what? They just cut back, and he's like, he's hung himself, and it's a body double. Yeah. And it looks like something like that. And the body double is... Crystal Plot. There you go. <laughs> just Crystal Plot like swinging from the rafters of this White House prison yeah. cell. And that's, that's how he wins Emmy. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what Emmy won for Best Corpse. And he'll get that nomination for anyone seeing the episode. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. That's exactly what will happen. We sound <laughs> it'll, it'll take nine minutes to, to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, some people get paid for it, some people won't, and yeah. you know, never so that's, it, that's just what happens. Yeah. But yeah, they've been really brave about it. Literally, here's a trailer with the the gravestone of yeah. Kevin Spacey. I've not even seen the trailer yet. I just, I've heard, I've just said he's dead. <laughs> he's just dead. They've not actually said like, how he died, I don't think. Yeah. Like, did he, did he get Frank Underwood will be playing a part of Kevin Spacey's career. 
<laughs> dead. <laughs> well, I don't know, because that's been something interesting in the news this last week, because this question about when is it and is it not all right yeah. to return well, to showbiz... Robin Wright was, was, that, was talking about it. Yes. Was she, yeah. yeah. About... Uh, when is it okay? And uh, mm. uh, Louis C.K. did a stand-up set recently. And people were not happy about that. No. No. People no. were definitely not happy about Louis' return. So, I think the fact that he included a rape whistle joke apparently didn't go down well. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just feel the room. I mean, yeah. not, not literally feel the room, because you might get in trouble for that. Well, but, like, yeah. get a sense of right. your audience. Genuine question. Right. Yeah. You tell me, do you or do you not think it would have been a better... Do you think it would be better or worse if Louis C.K. had gone on stage in the same manner he did, didn't tell anyone, and his entire set had actually been about him and what he did. If he had somehow managed to turn that... It's probably be received a little bit better, because facing it head on. Hmm. He doesn't mention it at all, does he? No, he doesn't. Yeah. Which is, I think, part... For me, that's part of the problem. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'm not saying he should go and crack jokes about it. I'm saying, like, there's no acknowledgement of it. No. And that's... Yes, he, he was up front when he acknowledged it to begin with. So maybe that's why he, he didn't do anything during his stand-up set. Yeah, before, yeah, yeah. I have addressed it. And he had... Well, anyway, he's, he's taken his punishment. He's gone back to his New York penthouse and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know, sat there. And he, he's, he's had time to put away all those boxes as an open boxes of uh, I Love You Daddy DVDs. And, uh, yeah. I forgot that was even a thing that existed in Planet. You know what? Never forget, they did send out award screeners for that film. Yes, they did, yeah. They really did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's what you love, by the way. This is, this is a bit of personal news. I am now on a list that grants me award screeners every year. Oh, that's exciting. So what, yeah. like, Oscar nights are yours? Yeah, so, like, come the Oscars, we're just going to have a stack of this to get through. <laughs> well, like, great, let's watch A Star Is Born again. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we'll probably be able to watch Star Is Born on... on have you Amazon. seen the first reviews for that? Uh, well, Ooh. some of them are great, some of them are really, really bad. Really? I've um, seen nothing but, like, oh, well, crazy um, glowing ones. I say some of them. One in particular is a guy I know, uh, Kevin Mayer for The, uh, for, for the Times... He's uh, he Kevin to, uh, Kevin Formayer. Yeah, he went to uh, he went to, to Venice and, and he hated everything he saw at Venice, which was like Suspiria. And, <laughs> yeah, like he just hated every right. came back like it was rubbish. Everything was. Rubbish. He just felt like really bad jet lag and was just really grumpy. I don't know. Like when, when did I see him? I saw him for uh, the Miseducation Cameron Post. Mm. So uh, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, people are loving uh, uh, the Star really Is now. Born. And yeah. Did you see this thing at the press conference? Her nameplate read L Gaga. Oh, oh did it? He's B Cooper. She's L Gaga. And you're like, what? Uh, okay, of oh, the Connecticut Gagas, like well, the New yeah. Jersey Gagas, what? <laughs> yeah, well, Le- Leslie Gaga. <laughs> I mean, like, was when Madonna went to like Ken, was she M Donna? Like, is that yeah. how this works? Also, also says on her driver's license. <laughs> what does Will I Am get? W Am? W Am? <laughs> oh, Mister Am. Yo, William, what's up? I want to know what it says on Morrissey's driving license. I always wondered what it would say, or on his passport. That's a good question, actually. Because yeah. obviously, Stephen Patrick Morrissey is his name, but it's not mm. how he goes. So does it just say like Moz? Or? No, I think it will say his actual name because, for instance, Bruce Willis, uh, for legal purposes, is Walter Bruce Willis. Walter Bruce Willis, yeah, yeah. So like his uh, his, his marriages and divorces, not not, when they've not been... Bruno. No, no, not Bruno. Bruno does not appear in his name. He but made that what? up. Would you believe they are two different people they, in, they in the eight. They were two people. Two they, they, people. they were indeed, yes. And, and yeah. apparently he went away and came back because we got the return of Bruno. Yeah, we did. So, you know, which... I can't just, wait for, like, Bruno forever. The world's greatest um, cover of Bruno Lives. 
Um, oh, it's yeah. so good. They do a cover of uh, Secret Agent Man as well. He does, doesn't he? Awful. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, can I talk about something else that's really, really bad and involves a musician? <laughs> We're not calling Bruce as a musician. No, right? no. Well, uh, well, someone who has acted and been a musician. How about that? We'll okay. go with that. Uh, Iggy Pop, specifically. I love Iggy Pop. Yeah, well, I, you won't love. You know, his you... full name is uh, Igwood Igni- Pop. Uh, Ignatius Poppadom. Is it? No. Ah. <laughs> I stole that from a joke on Twitter, but I saw. That's quite good though. It does sound like a Buzzcock joke. He doesn't. Does it? Yeah. It sounds like a Phil Jupiter's gag. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, right, so this uh, documentary maker uh, Boris Mitik or Mitik is uh, behind this. It's called In Praise of Nothing. Well, that's a foreshadow, isn't it? Yeah, that's a foreshadow. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. I'm just going to play you this clip and tell you that over this clip, right, just close your eyes and imagine, you know the Apple TV screensaver in my house, the one that's got the cityscapes and the Mm. nice Hawaiian uh, jungle and all that stuff? Just imagine you're watching that screensaver as you hear this. But who am I to say I or we... Am I really nothing? Or just my ego's mercenary? They say I can only be hinted at and never shown, unlike any other thing currently unknown. But I am actually there in every shot, if you bother to find me. That goes on for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> right, so literally it is the Apple TV screensaver uh, uh, with, with what sounds like faux Leonard Cohen lyrics being read as poetry, only they're actually closer to the insane ramblings of Gary Busey than you, anything else. Would you, would you say we did 90 boobless minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 90 boobless minutes. Um, now, the actual uh, explanation for this film is supposedly this is part of an initiative uh, between cinematographers around the world who have all come together and contributed different visuals to this. And, yeah, very pretty... You know, lovely to look at. But, you know, just to put this in context for you. So the first five minutes of this film, right, play like watching that Apple TV screen server with nothing but the sax riff, saxophone riff from Lethal Weapon, being played <laughs> ad nauseum for five minutes, right? Then it switches up and it started with the Iggy Pop, Fulton and Cohen ramblings mm. of Gary Busey lyric poetry thing. And they play that over what looks like footage from exotic beer ads. Like, I keep expecting Cobra beer to be brought up on screen at any point. And, and it really does a lot of that. And it just keeps switching between these different sort of setups of, of just randomised visuals. There doesn't seem much coherence to it. Whilst we listen to Iggy Pop and his rambling. You know, by all accounts, this is intended to be the story of nothing. As if nothing is a tangible concept. Right? Nothing has come to Earth for a weekend. Mm. And this is his experience of the human, con- his or their condition, uh, experience of the human condition. It's bonkers that this actually exists. I mean, props for the fact that it actually exists, because I want to meet the guy that pitched this. Um, but I had no earthly idea what the hell was going on at any given time. I mean, I literally wrote that as I sat down watching it, 
you know, the first 15 minutes, I have no earthly idea what the hell is going on. And by the end of it, I was still at, what the hell is this? In fact, the one thing it reminded me of, and we don't use this clip often enough. What the hell is this? For crying out loud, somebody throw a pie! That's what I thought of it. <laughs> it is exactly that. that. Yeah. It's a great clip. It's, it, it never fails us, that clip, does it? Uh, no, this is, uh, <laughs> I would say, not something I think anyone's going to uh, particularly draw much from. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it just wasn't for me. It, it, it just it just did nothing for me. It looked pretty sure, but, you know, I can't really just be sat, you know, made to sit and look at things that look pretty for 90 minutes. You know, mm. that's... You, no. you, you know what I mean? Like, Terence Malick tries that all the time, and it doesn't work. And he actually provides narratives. Sometimes, but crazy canted angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes he does it slightly diagonally. Yeah. So. <laughs> sometimes you don't know why you're looking at Michael Fassbender like that. No, no, I don't either. So, uh, back to some film news. Um, Avengers is reshooting. You hear this? Hey, is it? That makes sense. Yeah, have a guess what they're adding to it. <laughs> Captain Marvel. More Wakanda. Because, <laughs> you know... No, that was popular. Yeah, nobody knew that was going to be popular, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> More... Don't edit, edit this out. Leave no, this no, in. that's... I'm just leaving that in. That is me so, Van my dropped his phone. I laughed. <laughs> is it okay? It's perfectly fine. My, my phone is, like, encased in, like, carbonite. It's, it's, it's it is, yeah. It's, it's, it's going full, full Han Solo. Uh, do you remember that uh, Hitman film with... Uh, oh, what was it called? Better Call Saul guy. Uh, you know who I mean. Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. Was going to do that, uh, that action film that he was co-writing. Do you remember this? He was, no. he was writing an action thriller. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was called Nobody or Mr. Nobody. I'm literally pulling up the page now um, because, for some reason, your wife hates my phone. And, uh, oh, cheer my lovely case. Never mind. But uh, these things are a fire. It's fine. No one ever says that to me. Uh, right, so the action film, right, it's an STX movie called uh, Nobody. Right, this is, if you right. remember, we ran this news. Um, it cast Bob Odenkirk, and the idea was he was an everyday man. Uh, he was going to uh, step in to defend, like, uh, some young woman who's been harassed by thugs. Mm. And it, uh, he, he hospitalises the brother of, like, a drug kingpin. And then it's like a John Wick with an everyman. Nice. And it's Bob Odenkirk doing it. Now, I'm sure there was he was actually involved somewhere behind the scenes. I think he's producing us or co-writing or something like mm. that. But... Um, John Wick writer Derek Kolstad is 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 written it. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you can know it's what you're going to get. Yeah. He's got uh, both the John Wick dudes, uh, Chad Stahelski and David Leach, are going to uh, produce it as well. That's cool. <laughs> so this is yeah. uh, it's already sounding good. And now Ilya Nushala, who is the director of Hardcore Henry, is going to direct it. Hey. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. It went on Netflix recently. Do you know what? So I'm I can't, a, I might yeah. actually watch it at some point. How is it not bigger? Like Hardcore Henry. I was, I've been thinking about it. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? I actually quite enjoyed it. I mean, it is. I wish I'd have seen it on the big screen. Yeah, it is what it is. You know, and yeah. like it's a video game. Yeah, cinema screen would is the best place to have seen it because you would never see anything like that otherwise, other than those two minutes of doom. But I, know, I love those two minutes. Yeah, it's that as a movie, yeah. you know. But although it's a movie with all the uh, all the sort of uh, ambition of Crank. So, Crank is very ambitious. Make it, make he it. Was, that way he was dead, but he, he got better. <laughs> he got so ambitious, they literally did a Godzilla parody yeah. with a oh my God, it's, it's, it's incredible. Because what else do you do? That's probably why they've not done the third one. Well, apparently they were where, going where to one, they, they wanted to do it with Idris Elba at one point. So, that, remember that being banded around a few years what, ago. What, in the lead? Yeah, they wanted Idris Elba to lead Crank 3. Instead of Safe. Well, yeah, I don't know if the intention was they were going to leave him dead or something, but they did. It was after that second Ghost Rider movie that they did. 
Oh, the right, crank yeah. guys made that second Ghost Rider. And then he just was in there. Yeah. And they, they started up talk of they wanted to do a third crank. Mm. Or, uh, no, you, you can't put the three in place of the A, can you? Crathrink? Crathrink. Yeah. You're the ones that do it with, uh, with, with uh, Idris Elba anyway, which is not the worst idea in the world, but... Uh, yeah. Hashtag not my bond, hashtag not my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed, sir. So. I'd, 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 he'd be all right as Bond. He'd be really good as Bond, in fact. Shall we take this... Uh, shall we take this to uh, final penalties? Um, is that football terminology? That is, I that, guess. is that is apparently terminology of the football. Of, 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 of the, the football. The but apparently it's, it's how they talk about the football. Foosball. The foosball. Yeah. Right, uh, we've saved this one for last, and... Brace yourself, mate, because we're going to have a good one now. I am so ready for this film. <laughs> okay, right. Do you remember a, an action film from 2009? It was a sort of straight-to-VOD kind of release, but it starred Robert Carlyle, and it was called The Tournament. Did you ever see it? No. Right, it was it was one of those Contest of Champions type things. It was, like, set in Britain. It was a really nasty, violent, like, the raid-level mm. film. Nasty, violent action where a bunch of hitmen took part in what's apparently like an annual game or something. Thing, where last man standing wins the ten million dollar prize or whatever, and it's hitman hitmen going to war with one another, and like one's a priest who kills with holy beads, and the other one's like a ninja. And Robert Carlyle that sounds rad. Yeah, exactly. Robert Carlyle's like a lorry driver who just accidentally wanders into this game. <laughs> it's insane. Set in Britain, like that yeah. that year's competition takes place in Britain, so the film is set in Britain. Really good, worth seeing. <laughs> okay, like just a fun, nasty little action. Right. So the guy who made that, Scott Mann has now tried to make Die Hard at West Ham. Because, I don't know if you know this, West Ham Stadium needed to get demolished recently. Didn't know that. Did you, did you know that? No, I, no, I didn't at all. Oh, well, they needed to demolish the stadium. To build a new stadium. To build a new stadium. So, and so they were like, let's make a film. That's literally how this works. <laughs> so does... I, I don't care if you're spoiling it for everyone, me included. Oh no, the trailer has done this! So, so the stadium explodes at one point. This is the weird thing, the stadium does explode, but with a weird amount of CGI. But, yeah, just, just, just explode it naturally. Despite the fact that you've got an actual stadium to blow up. Yeah, like, just film that. Film that! Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry to ruin the movie. So it's Die Hard at West Ham, and you know in the way that you know the building isn't destroyed in Die Hard for anything, but there are obviously massive explosions mm. going Same exact crack. So the idea here is... Um, you get the exposition from Crimson Tide, right? You know that bit at the beginning of Crimson Tide where you get CNN reporters telling you the news events for like five years? Yeah. Yeah, they, they do that here with um, the nation state of Sokovia. Do you remember Sokovia? From Avengers? Yeah. Yeah. A made-up country for the Marvelverse. And, and it's genuinely in this film. And it's genuinely in this film. The villains of this film are Sokovians. But that's yeah. not that's yeah. not a country. It's not a country. I know, I know, I know. But uh, doesn't the DC universe has one as well? Uh, Corto Maltese. Is it Corto Maltese? Corto Maltese. What, what is that from? Uh, that they go to it in like Arrow and the Flash and places like yeah, that. That's that's yeah. They have like a fictionalized. Uh, they have fictionally named country that they like to go to, and it's like based on a country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Sokovia and the Marvelverse. But anyway, uh, right. So, Sokovian terrorists, in pursuit of their deposed former leader played by Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, Brosnan, decide to take the, take West Ham Stadium. It's ridiculous to even say this out loud. I'm so sorry. They take West Ham Stadium hostage. 
Right? They put it into lockdown, they take the control room, and they start about computer scanning the crowd to look for this former warlord who has been granted amnesty by the UK government and allowed to sort of hide in Britain. Hide, hide in yeah. uh, from football stadiums. Big, hide in football stadiums, because he's a big West Ham fan. Right, that's the thing. He's a big West Ham fan. Yeah, of course right? he is. Of course he is. So, and he's, he's, he's played by Pierce Brosnan with a Russian accent and a beard. Let's get that out of the way first and foremost. Right, and the whole thing is that if they get back, if they get Pierce Brosnan back, and they and they use him as a puppet, and and he's like the he's the face of their evil agenda. Mm. Well, there's literally a a pandemic style computer simulation that project uh, that shows you, and this is an exact quote: projected civil unrest. Through Europe, like it's a plague, like it's a virus. It moves in like thirty-six hours, and um, yeah, we get shown this anyway. As all this is going on, Uncle Mike enters the country. Uncle Mike is Dave Batista. Dave Batista is a Navy SEAL because right. why, why wouldn't he be right? We know this because he's wearing that outfit that all Navy SEAL characters in movies wear when they're going on like a family holiday. You know that one with baseball cap, the three button T shirt yeah. that they all have, and like the leather leather you know jacket and the backpack and the baseball, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know That's the, the flannel yeah. shirt open underneath, that kind of thing. You know the one. Yeah. So Uncle Mike is going to visit. Oh, wait, is it Uncle Mike? Sorry, Uncle Mike has problems. Uncle Mike, you see, has had he's had that problem. We've all been there. The failed mission, haunted survivor guilt thing. He's mm-hmm. got that right. Now this mission, he seems to act like it happened the week before the film. Okay, so he's he's struggling with it as if it's just happened. Years previous. Now, it it seems to be years previous because he seems to travel to the UK all the time. And then he goes to visit his his brother's family, they're told. It's not his brother, it's his colleague from the the, the Navy SEALs. It's his fellow SEAL. Who who died and then... Who died on the mission, yeah, yeah, yeah. And was like, look after my family. This is all the first ten minutes, by the way. This is all the first ten minutes. But that's what you need to do for this, this kind of action film. Get all that stuff out no, no. of the way. Get out of the way. They don't. Let, no, me, no, no. let me have a film. This is the, they carry on. They absolutely carry So the first time it's all this is happening, Uncle Mike goes to, to because his, his brother, you see, owned a pub. I don't know how he was running this <laughs> pub whilst he was off being a Navy SEAL. He has people to run it for him. But yeah, so he married uh, Ruby from Cutting It, so Lucy Gaskell, and they have a teenage daughter who's one of those Kim Bauer, Catherine Heigl teenage daughters. Right. So the teenage niece is a real Kim Bauer type, right? And she really likes West Ham. There's this great product placement moment when he pulls out the tickets and says, we're going to see the soccer, you know. Excellent. It's football, Uncle Mike. And yeah, it's yeah. one of those movies. So they go to the stadium, and because she's a Kim Bauer type, she does that Kim Bauer thing where she's quite seemingly intelligent to talk to but she keeps wandering off like an idiot and walking into the line of fire every two minutes like if there is an accident due to happen in this stadium odds are our Kim Bauer niece is going to walk in front of me but I'll tell you what <laughs> so he's there Die Hard happens what do you think he does here's a clip what is it that's C4 C4 what do you mean like highly explosive C4 yeah that's the one hold that what if it goes off no what the not without a detonator, it's not. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. I'm covered in blood, trapped in the siege, and carrying explosives, but don't worry about it. Faisal, can you give me to a working phone? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Take me. Uh, this way. Is that Daniel Mays? No, it is not Daniel Mays. It sounds a lot like Daniel Mays. Yeah. <laughs> the Empire everywhere. But yeah. <laughs> 
no, so that is Amit Shah. Amit Shah plays Faisal. Faisal is a steward, uh, a steward, steward, sorry, at the uh, at West Ham. And uh, when we first meet him, he's having an argument with an old lady, um, an, an argument that ultimately amounts to um, a racial slur. Uh, used against him, and the joke is, you know, just, ha-ha, that's what white people do. (laughs) White people are racist. And the movie uses Amit Shah entirely for this function. Right. Right. I thought he was going to be like the Argyle. Right. That's what they want to do with him, and that feeds into a larger problem with the film. Amit Shah is there literally for racially-based humour, and this builds and builds to an to, to, to a concluding gag, hmm. like a snowball effect gag, that I swear, if I told you the details of it, you would not believe me. It is insane. This is a movie by Saban, by the way, who make, you know, Power Rangers and stuff. <laughs> um, so a couple of things. So uh, Dave Bautista blends in at West Ham exactly as you expect he would in reality. <laughs> like Dave Bautista. <laughs> you know, there's just like, you know, there's, there's fat dudes in football shirts and tracky bottoms. Yeah. And then there's like a nine-foot Dave Bautista walking amongst them, you know. <laughs> um, they hold Brosnan back until the last half hour, which it turns out might be for the best, because I, and, and I'm going to tell you this now, the press show for this, there is a moment involving Pierce Brosnan in which he has to give like a his only real sort of character monologue, like a when I was a boy, worst accent you've ever heard. When I was boy, my father take me to woodshed. That stupid kind of a cliched put yeah. on. Yeah, presumably Gary Oldman was way too much money for this. <laughs> That's the thing, though. You know when you break this plot down, yeah. it is Gary Oldman's plot from Air Force One. Yeah, we want our deposed leader back so we can take over Europe. That is the exact plot yeah. of Air Force One. But that's the other thing, though. Like we said, he's going to be Argo. This film wants to be Die Hard really, really badly, and it puts in all the plot mechanics of Die Hard. So there's literally a point for us when you can, when you can just adopt your own Alan Rickman voice and say, "Where are my detonators?" Mm. You know, stuff like that. There's a Carl. You know, there's a there's this character. There's that bit happens and. Uh, there's an Al Powell who, in this place, in this case, is played by 85 from Alien 3. You know, uh, Ray. Oh. What's his name? Ray. Oh, man. Not wise. Oh. Oh, uh, Ralph Brown. Ralph Brown, isn't yeah. it? Uh, Ray. Ralph Ray. Brown from 85 from Alien 3. Is because the there, there, there is a Ray in this. Yes, yes, indeed. There is. There is a Ray Stevens and there's a Punisher in this. Yeah. And so Punisher <laughs> and Punisher yeah. and Drax and James Bond are all in this. <laughs> Gotta go watch uh, West Ham. Right. Uh, the thing is, it wants to be Die Hard. It feels a lot more like Sudden Death. The, Which uh, one was that? The 1996 Jean-Claude Van Damme actioner, best described as Die Hard in a hockey stadium. Not only does this wind up accidentally feeling like Sudden Death, it even, in its attempts to be unique and its own thing, it's stray from yeah. the Die Hard, uh, Die Hard template, winds up accidentally replicating entire chunks of sudden death so you know there's there's a kitchen fight which by the way involves the best use of a deep fat fryer since Lisa Faulkner took a facial if you remember that episode of Spooks yeah. um, but yeah it doesn't quite work it's got all this American sort of jingoism to it which when applied to football is silly anyway because mm. hip hop tracks and flashy Pepsi Max style imagery don't work that's with not what you want football. you should be playing like like Kasabian yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Out, yeah but then there's this sort of sense of Euro sass that they're putting in there with the yeah. villains and like it's got that, that requisite token hot girl terrorist that they all have like what is it a hot token hot girl terrorist is she, is she on a bike at some point she is on a bike at some point she's got that, she she's is. got that dreadlock look that they all have yeah. you know that one because that's that's what that's what they send from the hot, to- hot girl token a terrorist from, from, agency. The, from the warehouse from, yeah. from, the, from the service 
service. What you call yeah. you, you call the girl at the service and she yeah. sends you token hot girl terrorist. Hot girl toggle terrorist direct. Actually though, Ray Stevenson, he he had a voucher code, right? So mm. he got hot girl token terrorist kink edition. Mm. And this they just dropped this in like halfway through for no reason that you know she likes to bite lips and she's a bit she's a bit choky, you know. A bit choky. A bit choky. <laughs> she's you know, kink edition. You know, wears a lot of leather, does like a bike. There is an indoor bike chase, Mr. Yeah. In, in, you know that thing how stadiums have that outer ring yes. when you go amazing get this get this you know how they all have that pop song uh, that, they, that they like to use at any point in, an, in any one of these sort of cheesy action films mm. the one for this one Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood the movie not only opens it it then reprises it for a chase sequence and you can't stop laughing so much of this is a movie that you just laugh at it's really poorly written. Sample dialogue for you. Why did Dad have to do it? Do what? Die. <laughs> <laughs> Actual dialogue Amazing. from this film. I swear to God. And <laughs> oh my God. it's so so bad. <clears throat> it goes on entirely too long. It's like an hour and fifty minutes, and by mm. the end of it, you're thinking this went on an entire half hour too long to be funny anymore. Yeah. And. <clears throat> Ray Stevenson has this weird habit of monologuing with his back to the camera, and you sit there thinking, Jesus, is anyone directing this at all? Um, the, uh, the guy doing the lighting is clearly half asleep, so much so that at one point, token hot girl terrorist kink edition is revealed, despite the fact that she's not been wearing a hat or anything during this movie. She's revealed that she's a ginger. That technically counts as a plot twist, I'm just saying. She's been on screen the entire time. You think she's blonde and something No, you better. think she's got black hair. Oh, Yes, the oh, lighting right. is so bad that the first time you see her under an actual light, you're like, oh, she's a ginger. Oh, I'm with three quarters of the way through this. I mean, really. Mm. But, yeah, so that counts as a plot twist. Um, on the stupid fun level, this is sure as hell no Geostorm. It is pretty much the exact fun level of Sudden Death with a little bit of Under Siege 2 in there because, you know, they do get racist Faisal to be the, uh, the, yeah. the Morris Chestnut in this one. And <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's really bad. You know that bit in uh, in Die Hard, how he keeps slating California when he arrives? Mm. Like, California? You know, uh, Dave Batista literally does the same. Soccer man. And, yeah, there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of, like, Americans calling it soccer and being told, nah, nah, it's football, soccer. mate. But, uh, yeah, um, the other thing I'll say about this, by the way, uh, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, a man who starred in IT, has never <laughs> been so visibly bored. When he delivers that, uh, that uh, when I was a boy in Alaska, my father took me to the woodshed to kind of speak, mm. one-eyed fox, all that kind of stuff. Um, the entire pressure genuinely just devolved into just, just barrel-chested, hysterical <laughs> laughter, just across the board. Amazing. In that one moment, like, we will put up the rest of the film... But in that one moment, no. Yeah. Incidentally, same screen I saw uh, London has fallen. <laughs> Way better oh, action, terrible screen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's really, really bad. <laughs> but you can mock it. You can sit there and just be, oh my god, that's so stupid. You can sit there and note down all the action, and you'll have engaging enough time doing that that you can chalk this up as like a two-star movie. It's not like a complete write-off. You know, there's. there's the stuff you can enjoy, you know, mocking and things like that. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll watch Drax in pretty much anything. That's what I mean. So, I mean, this is in cinemas on Friday. It's also on uh, Sky Cinema and Now TV the same so day. So, don't, don't go outside, basically. So, if you're a Sky customer, you don't even need to get dressed. Just watch this in your pants. I kind of wish I did. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I had really nice underwear on that desk. I'm saying. Anyway, um... 
So, obviously, that was never going to be film of the week, was it? No. <laughs> I really wanted to. I was actually Let's really pumped. Let's give it to him. I was really pumped going in. I really want Die Hard at West Ham yeah. with, with Dave Batista, but no, instead we get sudden death at West Ham. Which with is Dave Batista. With Dave Batista, yeah. which is so much less thrilling than you'd hope. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I've got no other film news. I've got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing. Oh, Alec Baldwin dropped out of that Joker thing, didn't he? That was a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. We said he was going to be dad, and then he's, he's yeah. dad. So <laughs> get someone else. Probably get probably get Donald Trump at this point. Didn't he act? Didn't, Why not? Wasn't Alec Baldwin's actual quote? There were like twenty six guys who could play that. Yeah. Which that's so get one of those. Apparently, Viggo Mortensen turned it down before we went to Alec Baldwin as well. Really? Yeah. Actually, Viggo Monster would be good in that part. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a good Batman movie. Yeah. I, th- I think just, just go down the list of Baldwins. <laughs> You've got a whole heap Billy of Baldwin. Billy Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, because he, he's obviously next. He's, he's, your, he's your, your Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> God, really? Yeah. Why not? Uh, I'll tell you what, by the way. Um, I watched Jack Ryan this last week. Oh, yeah? How is that? I really dug it. I mean, I'm, I'm a 24 whore anyway. What, have, you, have you watched the whole thing? I've or? watched the whole thing. It's only eight episodes. Oh. But, uh, I, apparently, we're going to get like one a year kind of thing. It's uh, going to be new big-name cast members joining John Krasinski and Wendell Pierce every year. That'd be cool. And the next, it was the nice, next it was one's nice to see Wendell Pierce in there. He's, do you know what? They've, they've sort of re- reinvented that character. The uh, I call him the Morgan Freeman character, even though you know it was who's uh, mm. uh, Darth Vader before then. How have I forgotten the name of the James voice? Earl Jones? James Earl Jones. How did I forget the name of James Earl Jones? The Stafford. <laughs> My God. Okay, so yeah, so James Earl Jones obviously was the the first one I think on screens, wasn't he? Yeah, I think. But uh, I, that's, that's as far back as I remember the character. But I, you know, I tend to refer to him as the Morgan Freeman character. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I like what they've done with that. Interesting sort of redynamic. They've made him Muslim as well. He's a practicing Muslim, which oh, is a, cool. a, a interesting sort of dynamic to add to it. And, yeah. and, he's, and he's much more of a hard ass than he's ever been depicted before as well. He's a lot more uh, badass leader. There's something kind of weirdly Sterling K. Brown about him. Mm. But uh, Wendell Pierce plays it to perfection anyway. I'm sure uh, Sterling K. Brown could be the first black Jack Ryan, when we get around to that. Yeah, that, that would be yeah, a good one for me. Ace, but yeah. uh, I do like John, John Krasinski having this as like a franchise. Yeah. Because he's really good in it. I will watch it. I've got uh, Amazon Prime, so I will... Uh, I, I just need like a day to just watch yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Check, check out Jack Ryan. I was really something. Yeah, what did I watch? I watched all of The Sinner. That oh, was, uh, I've never that's, seen any of that. That's no, really no. good, yeah. But, and, and again, that's only eight episodes, so you could be spat out pretty easily. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I've properly started watching season two of Luke Cage, and I'm really digging it. Oh, I love season two of Man, Luke Cage. Man, it's eight. Yeah, oh, I've nearly finished it. Bushmaster. Bushmaster, Bushmaster. Bushmaster. You always knew who I was going to oh, ask. Oh, he's amazing. He's and so yeah. good, isn't he? He's, you knew who great. I was going to ask, right, who's the villain yeah. in that one. Uh, yeah, he's that that guy yeah. is just he plays that so terrifying. He's now. ace, yeah. I think that's that's what the first season was missing, missing an antagonist like that. Yeah, because I mean, like, what we do with Black Mariah in this? Yeah, yeah, she is badass. Yeah. Misty Knight is incredible. Like she's more badass than she's ever been. <laughs> I, know, I know. Like it's so good. It's, it even makes me like Danny Rand. In, yeah. In that episode, like I've just got to that episode. He's so now. good in it, isn't he? Yeah. Like. Like that works. Like yeah. now, do that as a series. Yeah. Like um, when it, when it, when he goes to uh, Luke Cage's barbershop and they're like, yeah. "Hey, I like her." Like, you know, do that, do that thing with do that with the character all the time. Now I'm all in. Isn't Luke Cage in? Uh, sorry, Iron Fist is next week, isn't it? Season two. Is it season really? two? Season two I, I knew next soon, week. Yeah, because there's reviews out. But what, uh, what do the reviews say? That second trailer looks 
good. It does. The reviews seem to be going down the road of it still feels laboured, even though it's only 10 episodes instead of 13. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> it, it does seem to have rectified a few of the problems of the first series, though. But it does still feel quite laboured and not interesting. But uh, I don't know. I liked uh, I first a lot more than most people anyway. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm done. I I'm am done. as well. Should we should we call it for this week? I think about that. On which note, here it is. Your moment of cage. At least we know where the rest of the map is. What? You know where it is? Why didn't you tell me? Because obviously you have a tendency to overreact!